This is Guns and Butter. The American Society of Physicians and Surgeons issued a resolution to Congress that demanded a moratorium on vaccine mandates and insisted on informed consent for use of vaccines. And this resolution was approved by unanimous vote by the ASPS at its annual meeting. And the resolution stated specifically, quote, it was a violation to increase numbers of mandatory childhood vaccines without providing information on the potential side effects that safety testing of many vaccines was too limited and clinical data was not being made available by the companies and the government for independent scrutiny, and therefore mass vaccination is equivalent to a human experiment and subject to the Nuremberg Code, which requires voluntary consent, informed consent. So the mandatory vaccine in California is a violation of the Nuremberg Code, and the Nuremberg Code supersedes state law. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. Today on Guns and Butter, Dr. Gary Null. Today's show, Vaccines, What You're Not Being Told, Part 2. Gary Null has been one of the foremost advocates of alternative medicine and natural healing. A multi-award-winning journalist and New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Null has written over 70 books and is the director of over 100 critically acclaimed full-feature documentary films on nutrition, self-empowerment, public health issues, and the environment. In part two today, he continues to discuss four distinct components of the subject of vaccination, vaccine effectiveness, vaccine safety, legal issues, and finally, the role of the pharmaceutical industry, government officials, politicians, and the media. Today's program was recorded on The Gary Knoll Show, heard daily at noon Eastern on the Progressive Radio Network. When legislators introduce bills that benefit parties that have given them money, does this constitute the purchasing of public policy? Isn't this a conflict of interest? Okay, good question. For those of you who've just joined us, I'm Gary Knoll. This is a special two-hour edition of Guns and Butter with Bonnie Faulkner. We're addressing issues that would have been addressed a week ago on Pacifica's KPFA, but we were, we were censored. Uh, we were prevented from sharing this information on this important issue or even allowed to debate it. I would have been happy to debate. I debated on a major radio station in San Francisco just three, four weeks ago um, because this is an important public health issue and it needs to have an address on both sides. Um, controversial issues, important public issues need to have an airing. The trouble is, Bonnie, who is invited to talk? And the mainstream media has shut out Dr. Tony Bark from Chicago, a leading advocate, Dr. Suzanne Humphreys, Dr. Nancy Banks. Now, these are women doctors, board certified, one from Harvard, all great, a nephrologist, um, a professor of medicine. They spend thousands of hours doing what every doctor should do, looking for the truth about vaccines before they administer it. And when they looked for the truth, they didn't find it the way they were told. It was safe and effective, all these vaccines. In fact, to the contrary, they found that there was no vaccine 
that was, quote, safe or effective, according to Dr. Suzanne Humphreys. And that led him even further and further. And so when I took a look, and I spent over 10,000 hours of meticulous scholarship looking at every study to see, was there something I was missing? I couldn't find the good double-blind studies to prove that vaccines were safe or effective against a placebo. And then a placebo should never be another vaccine. A placebo should be a sugar pill. But it wasn't. And I then believe that what we have to look at is what you just mentioned. Who is paying these people? You know, who, who's, who's getting the money? Where's it coming from? And that leads me to this discussion, Bonnie. Let us understand and look carefully at the vaccine industrial complex. Now, you mentioned at the beginning of the program, California Bill SB 792. That's 277. Yes. What's coming now is SB 792. It's another bill. Are you aware of it? Uh, I'm not sure which one you're referring to, but yes, uh, there are many in the pipeline. You're right. This would eliminate an adult's right to exempt themselves for some or all vaccines. So California would become the first state, thanks to the blackout of news on this. And by the way, from my personal opinion, when you choose for ideological, political, or any other reason to not allow quality information that is fully vetted and scientifically accurate to be presented on the airwaves, then you're the best friend Big Pharma has. You know, you're right up there with the national networks of making sure that a controversial issue involving the audience doesn't get a fair hearing and therefore complicit. And do you know who really is denigrated and denied any virtue in this whole debate? The two million parents who have vaccine-damaged children, you're telling those parents, you don't count, you're not important, you're just a person, anecdotal, and yet these people know more about their children before they were vaccinated in their development and afterwards when they were injured than any doctor or any state legislators or anyone from the media, and that's unfortunate. Now, I'm going to go into this in a little depth on this, but Right now, SB 792 would eliminate an adult's right to exempt themselves from virtually all vaccines. And if it passes, how many of these vaccines will then be added? There are 271 new vaccines, according to the Pharmaceutical Research Manufacturers of America, the largest lobbying group for big pharma. And 99 are for cancer, 15 are for allergies, and 10 are for neurological disorders. But we have to understand corruption within the vaccine industrial complex. Vaccine dangers are very real. And that's why a government compensation fund was created to pay out vaccine-injured children. But the private vaccine companies are now immune from lawsuits. No incentive whatsoever to spend money to assume these vaccines are safe and effective. If they were liable, you would... Uh, you would have much more rigorous science and clinical trials would be developed if they had to pay out of their pocket for an injury or a death. You can bet that you would only have safe vaccines. The full scope of the pro-vaccination institution uh, is really a fine-tuned machine. While they have networks of government health agencies, 
private pharmaceutical corporations, universities, medical schools, professional medical associations like the AMA and the AAP, think tanks, medical foundations, nonprofits, shadow lobbying groups, shadow charitable organizations, all who give them good PR. It also includes networks of, of groups that function as clubs and are comprised mostly of academics and private researchers who fall under the rubric of evidence-based science or evidence-based medicine or skeptic societies. Now, these individuals serve primarily as propaganda hitmen with a sole mission to discredit throughout the Internet any posts or articles that question the safety and efficacy of vaccines. Bill Gates gave $100,000 to one professor at the University of Connecticut to develop a computer monitoring system that would track and flag all Internet traffic that was anti-vaccine. Mm. Yeah, you talk about medical McCarthyism. Bill Gates is the largest funder of medical McCarthyism today. And what we find is all these entities are interrelated. They share personal beliefs. They are on each other's board of directors. They're on each other's advisory groups. And they also work with the large PR firms and law firms that advise on manipulating public perceptions about vaccines and infectious disease. Burston Marsteller is one of the PR firms, one of the largest in the world, and they have all these vaccine makers as their clients, like Merck, Glaxo. They also represented Monsanto for years in order to create a positive public perception about GMOs and their value to humanity. And there are many pro-vaccine nonprofit organizations that act as shadow forms of lobbying rather than traditional lobbying. And a large percentage of the pro-vaccine propaganda that bombards throughout the mainstream media and that are behind state legislatures, including your Senator Richard Pan, the medical doctor in California, and yes. Alan, derived from master troop groups and small nonprofits that serve no other purpose but to funnel money from the CDC and health and human services and vaccine companies into vaccine marketing and faux journalism under the ruse of vaccination as the public interest. So let me be specific. Let's take a look at Paul Offit for a moment. And just this morning, Bonnie, University of Pennsylvania magazine, Penn Current, published an interview with Offit. Here's what he said, quote, are there any side effects to taking vaccines? Here's Offit answer, quote, sure, they hurt. They can cause pain and redness at the site of injection. Sometimes they cause you to faint. Some vaccines contain stabilizer, manufacture residues, um, that can cause an allergic reaction. The measles-containing vaccine can cause lowering the blood platelet, but that's very rare. For the most part, vaccines are remarkably safe. I would argue that they're the safest, best-tested thing we put into our body, certainly safer than megavitamins, certainly safer than antibiotics. They would have to be that safe because we're giving them to healthy children. Okay. Now, remember earlier in the last hour, I mentioned that I check with the poison control centers. I check with all the deaths uh, and injuries from vitamins, and there were zero. And that's over a long period of time, and yet hundreds of thousands a year die from pharmaceuticals and die from vaccines and are injured. In fact, that's the same man who published a paper in The Lancet, one of the top five medical journals in the world, that stated he believes children can, quote, withstand 100,000 vaccines. And he co-developed and discovered the rotavirus vaccine known as Rotatech and sold it to Merck, which he received somewhere between 23 and $46 million. Now, why is it when he appears on all these national programs like the Today Show, why don't they ask him, 
How, if you receive tens of millions of dollars directly into your pocket, how could that not bias you on, on what you state about vaccines? But th- that's just part of it. He receives $1.5 million every year as chair of the Children's Hospital that is paid for by Merck. He also served both as a paid and unpaid member of Merck's Scientific Advisory Board. And he's a speaker at the American Legislative Exchange Council, ALEC, conferences. More recently, one in Nashville. And according to conversations I had with PR Watch, which has become a leading watchdog of ALEC, ALEC has been on a regular rampage to get vaccine bills in all 50 states. And to this day, Alpha continues to deny that the pertussis vaccine has become a NBC Dateline special entitled DPT Vaccine Roulette back around 1980, a bad vaccine. He still supports it. And yet, he is the darling of the media. And then you have, have you heard of the group called Voices for Vaccine? I think so, yeah. Here's how it works. Let me put this in real simple lay language. Let's say that you are a legislator and you want to let your audiences and your your constituents know that you're looking after their health. So you hold a hearing on the safety of vaccines and why they should be mandatory. And so you invite 10 people to come and testify. And one of them comes and they represent Voices Vaccines with impeccable credentials. So they're all pro-vaccine and they try to put fear in the hearts of the legislatures, which was going to go out to the media. All of these are astroturf groups. They represent the vaccine industry. But you wouldn't know that from the media, and you wouldn't know that from the legislators because they're not questioning. But I will. Let me tell you what we found out about Voices for Vaccines. It's a parent, let's say, led organization. That's what we're told to increase vaccination rates. It was the major front group attacking Jenny McCarthy. Remember when she was attacked? Oh, yes, it, that, that was big in the media. Yeah, and it was started as an astroturf group spun out of the CDC and principally owned by the Task Force for Global Health. Have you heard of the Task Force for Global Health? No, I haven't heard of that one, Gary. It's one of the largest charities in the United States, funded by Merck and the Bill Gates Foundation and Novartis. And most of the task force employees are also employed by Emory University, which is connected to the CDC. And if you can't track the money easily. You can sure look at who's on their board. And by the way, the task force originally started by the Rockefeller Foundation and the World Bank. And they've been partnered with Merck, the maker of all these vaccines, for 25 years. So who's on their board? Well, Paul Offit, yeah, and Stanley Plotkin and Deborah Wexler, and Alan Hinman. And why is that important? Well, we know about Alpha, but Stanley Plotkin, um, he shares the rotavirus vaccine patent with Offit, And he is a scientific advisor to the vaccine maker of Sanofi and former CDC Epidemic Intelligence Department and a board member of Dynavax. And Deborah Wexler was a founder of the Immunization Action Coalition, another AstroTurf group. And Alan Hillman was director of the Task Force Measles Program, funded by Bill Gates and a former CDC epidemic uh, intelligence officer. That's one group. Pure pharmacy right across the board. But no one in the media ever strips back the curtain to see. Then you have another group called Every Child by Two. Have you heard of Every Child by Two? No. 
Sounds good, doesn't it? Every child by two. But it's originally started with seed money from vaccine maker Wyeth uh, before it was bought by Pfizer. And it has a fundraising arm called Shill Army that also tracks down through surveillance technology children who are not vaccinated. And it was the group that worked with the Clinton White House to pass mandates that would require federal health agencies to access children's immunization records for future tracking. And it was responsible for recruiting and coaching actress Amanda Peet to be the pro-vaccine celebrity. And attorney J.D.B. Handley did an investigation on them. And when we spoke with him, he said they are, quote, a rat s army, and you can fill in the blank, with only three employees tucked away in a small Washington, D.C. suite getting money from vaccine companies. IRS returns indicate dark money is at work since they have over a million dollars in revenues and almost no overhead or expenses. Who's on their board? Paul Offit. There he is again, Alman Hillman, just mentioned, and Errol, Errol uh, Alden, the CEO of American Academy of Pediatrics, and Walter Ornstein, former chair of the World Health Organization Polio Group, and the member of the CDC's National Vaccine Advisory Committee, and uh, Sarah Dupree, member of the National Vaccine Advisory Committee, and Mary Petraco, advisor of the National Vaccine Advisory Committee, and Catherine Martin, executive director of California's Immunization Coalition. All pro-vaccine, all connected with the vaccine industry. And then you've got the Immunization Action Coalition, another nonprofit funded by the CDC, Merck, Novartis, Santa Fe, Pfizer, to promote vaccines. And who's on their board? My goodness, Paul Offit again. And then you have Bruce Gellin, uh, Director of the Health and Human Services National Vaccine Program, and Samuel Katz, Chair of the Vaccine Committee, American Academy of Pediatrics. Again, all pro-vaccine. And then the Autism Science Foundation. Well, that sounds good, doesn't it? Autism Science and Foundation. Yeah, it's a nonprofit educational organization originally funded with seed money from Merck. And Paul Offit is its founder and board member. And here's a curious thing. The foundation website claims that it has only three missions, one being to promote the belief that there is no association between vaccines and autism. Second, it claims to adhere to rigorous scientific standards. However, it doesn't conduct any research or science whatsoever. And then you have the American Academy of Pediatrics, and this organization should be challenged and dis- disbanded. They support mandatory vaccines. They have deep financial ties with Merck. Merck gave them $100,000 to build a new Chicago headquarters. They've received $342,000 from Wyeth, the pneumococcal vaccine maker. And when Merck released Gardasil, it gave American Academy of Pediatrics $443,000 contribution for endorsing it. And the American Academy of Pediatrics is not a friend to the children of the nation. This is an organization that released in the journal Pediatrics in July 2001 its official position on Mercury, quote, Mercury in all of its forms is toxic to the fetus and children, and efforts should be made to reduce exposure to the extent possible to pregnant women and children as well as to the general population, end quote. Well, that's strange. That was in 2001, officially from their publication, but it's in the flu vaccines, and children get the flu vaccines. That seems like a gross contradiction. This was the year after the transcripts of the secretive CDC meeting at Simpsonwood became public, and the participants acknowledged 
that thimerosal mercury contributed to autism that their study conducted by Dr. Verstatin, who later went on to work for Glaxo's vaccine division, needed to be covered up. After those studies were doctored up four additional times by the CDC, they kept trying to rework and massage the data to show there was no relationship between vaccine mercury and autism. Then, then they switched gears and claimed there was no association between vaccine mercury. And by the way, they also, they also recommend Gardasil for boys. Let's focus on your senator out there, Senator Richard Pan. Since yes. no one in your California media and certainly not the, none of the management at KPFA have had him on to debate him, unless I missed the debate. Have they had him on to challenge him? Not that I'm aware of. Okay. Um, well, here, and, here's of course, what I Gary, would... they, they prevented us from doing this show. Yeah, well, they can prevent all they want with the 13 people that actually listen to the station. All right. right. Uh, that's fine. They can do all they want, but they cannot prevent the truth from getting out. All right? Uh, they cannot do that. They can do it to that tiny little audience they have, but this far exceeds what anything in the, the Byzantine, tiny little insignificant world of Pacifica politics means to the larger message of truth getting out. Here's what I would like the people of California to know about your respected Senator Richard Pan. During his testimony at the California State Health Senate hearing on SB 277, Pan made the following statement, quote, Pam, vaccines are safe and effective. Are they? No, they're not. All he has to do is read the package insert to see that no person can be guaranteed that they will not get the disease to which they're vaccinated and there'll be no side effects. Now, if you doubt me, why don't you ask Dr. Pan, would he personally pay for damages to any patient of his who came down with any condition because of the vaccine? Would he sign, sign before the person got the vaccine, that he will be financially responsible for them? Dr. Pan, P-A-N, quote, evidence shows the disease that have been prevented by vaccination is at least a thousand times more likely to cause a lasting problem than the vaccine itself, and there have been no confirmed deaths caused by the measles vaccine. It's false, patently false. The government's vaccine adverse event reporting system as of December last year reports 6,900 serious adverse events and 329 deaths associated with measles, mumps, rubella alone. Over half of those deaths are in children under three years of age. Only two deaths have been reported from the infectious wild measles in the last eight years. So the wild measles is not an epidemic killing people, but the vaccine is. So when he says on the record and I'm assuming under oath, that there is no evidence, that no one's uh, died, and there's no serious injury. He is not looking at the truth. Dr. Pan, quote, let's be clear, SB 277 does not mandate vaccines. False. Dr. Pam, how dare you? How dare you, sir, state that it's not? Quote, the bill states, I'm referring to the bill, the bill Quote, this bill would eliminate the exemption for immunization based upon personal beliefs. End quote. That's in the bill. You're supporting the bill. Oh, by the way, he and over 27 other state legislators received between 1000 to $3,000 uh, from the manufacturer of uh, the Gardasil vaccine and voted for Gardasil. So his statement is meaningless. And... 
let's remember in 2011, California passed AB 499, the PAN voted for, which allows minor children as young as 12 to be vaccinated with Gardasil without knowledge or consent of their parents. No consent there. So when he said, quote, informed consent is still necessary to get your child vaccinated, it's not true. In fact, among the 10 state senators and 15 assembly persons who voted in favor of that bill, they all received direct donations from Gardasil's maker Merck according to the California uh, Watchdog. Now, some folks in California may recall a commercial for Pan when he was running for the Senate of a little girl smiling at him in a white physician's coat. What you didn't know was the girl's mom is Jody Hicks, a lobbyist for the California Medical Association and now with the Sacramento law firm engaged in medical lobbying. And her father's a political consultant. She was present seeing consulting with Pan when he presented his case before the Public Senate Health Committee hearing on SB 277. And during his political career, approximately $560,000 of his donors are from medical industry and organizations, including Pfizer, Gilead, Sciences, Johnson & Johnson, Eli Lilly, Amgen, AstraZeneca, Glaxo, Merck, and other health insurance agencies and many national, state, and local physician medical associations. Also, GMO companies such as Syngenta. His donor base is a who's who from the medical industrial complex. His medical-related donors are disproportionately more than any other state senator. Why don't we know this? And also, other SB 277 bill primary sponsors, Senator Ben Allen, $90,000, sir, you received from the medical health and lobbyists. And Senator Lorena Gonzalez, you received $105,000 from medical and health donors. Why aren't the people of California challenging on this? And don't you have a law? I'm asking all the people of California, look at the law. There is a law in California that states that if you receive more than $250 in donations from a group or person or anyone, you cannot advocate on their behalf. All these people exceeded that amount of money. Shouldn't there be a special investigation? Should there not be the attorney general looking into this? And also look at the 2000 Supreme Court ruling that states that the state can only intervene on behalf of a child if it's shown that there's a clear and present danger to the child. This does not meet that standard. In effect, this law would state that every parent in California is negligent and therefore represents a clear and present danger to their children. Therefore, the right of the parent must be stripped and abrogated in behalf of the state. This is unconstitutional. This goes against the Nuremberg Treaty. But let's go one step further. I want to show you the vaccine industry corruption. It is endemic. Bonnie, a couple of years ago when I was doing a film called The War on Health, I wanted to see how many of the vaccine manufacturers or pharmaceutical companies were engaged in illegal activities or were found guilty, had to pay fines. All of them. Thousands of times. Hundreds of thousands of lawsuits. I had two lawyers who worked on this. They had cartons upon cartons of conclusions of cases that were settled for billions of dollars. And yet these same people who have been found to have engaged in in price fixing and lying and bribery and knowing that a drug was deadly like Vioxx and 
paid $5 billion in penalties. No one was sent to jail. If you and I committed these crimes, we would forever be monitored as criminal minds. Wasn't it the great I.F. Stone, the great journalist who said every government is run by liars and nothing they say should be believed? Well, so it is with the CDC and the FDA, what Robert Kennedy Jr. calls a cesspool of corruption. Today, Big Pharma, Bonnie, is almost a separate branch of government. The revolving door, former head of the CDC, Julie Gerberding, heads Merck's vaccine division overseeing billions in vaccine sales. Former head of vaccine science of the CDC, Dr. Verstatten, is chief vaccine researcher at Glaxo. The top financial contributors to Congress during the 2013-14 session, according to OpenSecrets.org, was Pfizer, Amgen, Merck, Abbott Laboratories, AstraZeneca, Eli Lilly, Sanofi, uh, Johnson & Johnson, GlaxoSmithKline, Novartis, Genentech, Nova, Nordisk, and Allergen. These are all companies that produce drugs and vaccines. Why such a huge uptick in financial contributions from the pharmaceutical sector? Related to nationwide pro-vaccine legislation, such as the Absurd Vaccine Saves Lives initiative that appeared in Congress after the Disneyland outbreak and that declares vaccines are essential for public health and the economic and national security of the nation. Here are some notes from Dr. Christine Sirlin, president of the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Quote, the CDC's Advisory Committee on Immunization Practice is a hand-picked group of members to recommend vaccines that work primarily in secret. The CDC offers financial bounties to state health departments for every fully vaccinated child. Example, Hire receives $1 million in bonus payments in one year. Merck bankrolls the establishment of entities with attractive names that are nothing more than public relations gimmicks. Example, the Illinois Children's Health Coalition. Companies no longer can be sued for adverse effects. Hence, they have every incentive to push vaccines to market as quickly and unsafely to market to get that gravy train going. So it's not only the vaccines that are unsafe, so is the manufacturing practices that that create vaccines, the FDA's warnings and citations against unsafe practices among vaccine manufacturers is increasing. In 2012, the FDA cited 58 violations among one top vaccine maker, Sanofi. Australia also investigated Sanofi's vaccine manufacturing practices after its flu vaccine was causing a spike in fevers caused by the vaccine. It was banned. Similarly, non-sterile vaccines in Japan made by Pfizer and Sanofi resulted in rapid deaths of several children. It later had to be removed. 13 lots of the hip vaccine from the market due to contamination. In China, Sanofi was caught bribing health officials. I'm speaking with investigative journalist, filmmaker, and radio host Gary Null. Today's show, Vaccines, What You're Not Being Told, Part 2. I'm Bonnie Faulkner. This is Guns and Butter. Now also, CDC offers financial bonuses all the time. And uh, the precautionary principle is sacrificed or shelved in favor of the risk management. And while there is denialism in the vaccine industry, the vaccines cause more adverse effects than they acknowledge, we might ask why. Is there a relationship between vaccination and profitability from adverse effects, maximizing profit from vaccine-induced pathologies. Example, Novartis, one of the world's largest vaccine makers, is also the makers of Ritalin, 
the most commonly prescribed medication for ADHD and autism. I find that rather ironic. And also, let me give you one example. There is a California case of an infant who received eight vaccines during his two-month checkup. He was late for his fourth-month checkup, so when almost six months he received eight more vaccines, two days later he was found lifeless and rushed to a hospital where he died. The parents were told it was sudden infant death syndrome, and the body was cremated. Parents weren't told why. And that's not uncommon, where children are vaccinated and then die. And they're also kidnapping uh, children. The state uh, social services will go in if a doctor complains about a parent not getting the vaccines and just take your child and put it into the, the gulag of the state system for children, the orphanage system. It's terrible. Now, the public has been misinformed by the pro-vaccine establishment. Let me give you an example. Back in February, a Canadian mother posted on Facebook a vitriolic attack against anti-vax community because she claimed her newborn son contracted measles from an unvaccinated person. Do you remember that, Bonnie? Yes, that's right. That went viral, right? And, and hundreds of thousands of people and the mainstream media reported on it. It was later discovered this woman has ties to the vaccine industry through her social media marketing firm, and her father is a principal stockholder in a company called Chorus Pharma, which serves the vaccine industry. Then a man by the name of Edward Stowe sh- shared the post to his personal large network of pharmaceutical employees, and from there the post went viral into the mainstream media's newsrooms. Turns out this woman did not have an infant. Her son was just under 30 years old, fully vaccinated, and went to a clinic after contracting measles. There's another example. There was a pro-vaccine propaganda campaign featuring a young seven-year-old boy with leukemia. The message I was is, just, just going to ask you about that, Gary. They have him standing on a chair so he can reach the podium, and they're having him testify at public hearings. Yes, that's correct. Well, here's what you're not told. The uh, message is that, that because this child is immunocompromised, vaccines should be mandated to protect kids like him, and no child should attend school unless they're vaccinated. Who is this child? It is the grandson of Carl Krawat, a leading vaccine consultant for one of the world's two largest vaccine makers, GlaxoSmithKline. And what the media won't share is that it is well-known scientific fact that people with immune-compromised illnesses should avoid any contact with a recently vaccinated person for at least two weeks. Do you find this advice on the University of Hospital Clinic websites and many hospitals with specialty departments for immunocompromised persons, such as those with cancer, leukemia, and autoimmune disease? Now, an immunocompromised child with leukemia is far more likely to contract an infectious disease in a shopping mall from a vaccinated person than someone who is infected and unvaccinated. And besides, someone who came down with the measles is unlikely to be hanging out in a mall, whereas vaccinated persons who have not had physical symptoms are carrying around infections in their nose, they're dripping, and for two weeks they can be becoming infected. So the government witch hunt is silencing medical doctors. Example, Dr. Jack Wolfson, a cardiologist in Phoenix, appeared on a cable TV show and spoke against vaccines. This was immediately followed by a full investigation into the physician by the Arizona Medical Board and then followed by a media blitz to destroy his medical reputation. 
So even practicing physicians who witness vaccine injuries frequently are being silenced. And a USA Today columnist called for the arrest and imprisonment of vaccine skeptics and parents who don't vaccinate their children. And then you have all these trolls, these vaccine trolls. It was Glenn Greenwald from Snowden Information who showed that um, from government agencies that the government actually relies on trolls to discredit and attack any dissent. And so keep in mind, uh, here's just one. Here's one of what the pro-pharma information was that they uncovered. Quote, use emotional warfare on anti-vaccine blogs. Tell emotional stories full of tears and sobbing and unbearable grief and terror about people in your own family or people you read about who were sick or who died of terrible diseases. Don't hold back details about bodily fluids and such like. The more gross, the better. This stuff has a way of infiltrating the minds of readers and subtly influencing their decisions in a manner similar to advertising. That's one. Here's another one. Quote, go in there and agree with them and then say things that appear thoroughly delusional, overly nuts, blatantly and obviously wrong, even to nincompoops. Occasional spelling and grammatical errors are also useful, but don't overdo it. The point of this exercise is to create an impression that drives away undecideds who may come in to check out these sites. It helps to do this as a group effort and begin gradually so the sites appear to be going downhill slowly. Another one, quote, it is useful to have an email address that cannot be tracked back for certain legitimate ethical uses, just as it is useful to have a mailbox at a UPS store. And then it goes on to talk about 12 is the right number, meaning the number of trolls to converge on an anti-vax site. Post that kind of schizophrenic word salad on the anti-vax sites in large quantities under various pseudonyms and clog up the sites with it until it appears that a large fraction of members are downright wacko. This will seriously turn off undecideds who check out those sites. Really, listen up, folks. The way to fight this crap is not by patiently explaining to people who are already way past being persuaded that the earth isn't flat. You may as well be talking to rocks. Well, now, Gary, what you have been describing is the Cass Sunstein plan to infiltrate social media and website commentary. I think they rolled that out on 9-11, but now it's hitting the vaccine situation. Yeah, well, we can think. Have you ever read any of the rants on Pacifica site? Uh, Yes, and usually I I read one lately about the censorship of me having you on KPFA that was the same two people back and forth for pages. Yes, that's how they do this. All right? And we have people monitor my site on an hourly basis because we catch them all the time, all the time. And by the way, when I was going to do a special two-hour investigation on vaccines, They crashed my entire progressive radio network, and it could not have been a simple person doing it because we have brought in the best IT people with very high skills at encryption, and they got through it. So this was a well-funded, well-organized effort. But they continue. So just remember, they've got the rap sheet we don't, all right? We, We, the consumers who look to see what the truth is, uh, we don't have to... You know, we don't have to go to bed at night fearing that we've caused other people to be harmed by what we share with them. And, and let me just give you an example. Do you know that the largest unvaccinated area in the United States 
as a given area. Do you know where it's at? Uh, no. Where is it? Right out there in California, Livermore Laboratories. Now, who works at Livermore Laboratories? Oh, well, I mean a lot of researchers, right? Yes, and that means they're highly educated, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Lots of PhDs, lots of men and women and parents who are very smart, and they know how to do research. They're the ones in America who are the most educated, the most well-informed, the most objective, and they're the ones who are opting out of these vaccines, at least as the vaccines are given, and the high numbers and all the ones all at once. So isn't it interesting? The one state where you have the most anti-vaccine or the most educated on the issue, and they're the ones who are being demeaned and ridiculed and attacked. Isn't it ironic that free speech radio is actually attacking women, is anti-women? Now, maybe I missed something, Bonnie, but when you're pro-women, shouldn't you respect that when a woman's reality is, is uh, presented, that it should be given some credibility, it should be given an opportunity to be heard? You have over a million women in the United States who've had bad experiences with vaccines and are living with it every day of their lives with their children. They're denied. They're not given a forum. And as a result, when you don't allow information on the airwaves to be uh, shared with open and honest debates, and I asked, come on in the air and debate me. I've asked multiple times. I've asked Paul Offit. I've asked the, I've asked the head of the uh, CDC, the head of the FDA. I've asked, I asked the program director for KPFA, come on the air and debate me. Nobody debates. They go on the Internet and, and uh, shill out all this uh, libel material. And it is libelous, by the way, and they'll find out the consequences of libeling people very shortly. In any case, let me share a few more facts. Fact, they talk about the polio vaccine. Okay, six states had increases in polio one year after the Salk vaccine. And I spoke with Salk, Dr. Salk. It increased by 642% in Massachusetts where 77% of paralysis cases had three doses of the vaccine. An 80% increase between 1958 and 1959. That's based upon the testimony under oath by Dr. Bernard Greensburgs in Congress, 1962. Dr. Salk of the Salk vaccine, polio vaccine, also testified before Congress that, quote, all polio outbreaks were from the vaccine. In 1987, the CDC reported an 87% of polio cases between 1973 and 83 were due to the vaccine. All right? And according to vaccine researcher Dr. Vera Schreibner, 90% of polio cases were intentionally eliminated from the federal health statistics and redefined. So we still had polio. We just changed the name to encephalitis or other neurological problems. And people should realize that polio infection symptoms are similar to viral and uh, septic meningitis. Polio infections were being redefined as meningitis. So the vaccine didn't eliminate polio because all the numbers of cases of polio suddenly became meningitis. All you have to do is look at the statistics and you'll see it. It's right there. And polio, as we know it from the first half of the last century, doesn't exist today. But the declines were well underway before the vaccine was introduced. And now, just last year, from the University of Bonn in Germany, researchers published their findings on a large polio epidemic that occurred in the Congo in 2010, and with, with 209 deaths, 
and you have to look at how many of those were given the polio vaccine. Also, there's 47,000 cases of, uh, of polio paralysis deaths in people that received the vaccine in India. And there's a whole lot of, of really uh, negative science out there. But they can use these third world countries and these uh, developing nations, people, as human guinea pigs. Now, I want to, I'm going to get to one person's rap sheet here, and that's Merck, because Merck, Merck is the 7,000-pound gorilla in the room. And there are only a handful of global vaccine makers, and two of the largest and repeat criminal offenders are Merck and Glaxo. And whereas Merck dominates the U.S. market, Glaxo dominates most of Europe. Well, let's be specific. Back in 2010, two Merck scientists filed a False Claims Act accusing Merck of lying about the safety and efficacy and the falsification of data and defrauding the U.S. government over the mumps component of the measles, mumps, the MMR vaccine. Now, Merck claims it's 95% effective. Well, according to the Courthouse News description of the case, Merck added animal antibodies to blood samples. Can you imagine that? Animal antibodies. How in the world does any scientist except you put animal antibodies into human serum and then you don't tell anyone? Well, that's a completely fraudulent study. And therefore, it increased the favorable test results and knowingly knew that the human immune system would never produce those antibodies. Humans produce human antibodies, not animal antibodies. And as a consequence, Merck swindled hundreds of millions of dollars from the U.S. government since the late 1990s for a vaccine that they claim is worthless. So between 2000 and 2010, Merck has received over $700 million for its MMR vaccine. Remember, the U.S. government buys about 70% of all vaccines. So if you have people inside all the vaccine committees, which you do at the CDC and FDA, and if you have the top people at the Health and Human Services who are pro-vaccine, which you do, who later go to work for the vaccine manufacturers at million-dollar salaries, then it's a fixed game. So both of the whistleblowers were members of the team involved in the falsification of data. They were part of the crime. Now they're whistleblowers. And, but they were promised, quote, significant bonuses if they went along with the scheme. And by the way, Merck is the sole provider of the MMR vaccine in the United States. Then you've got Merck and Gardasil. In April 2014, the issue of the French magazine Health Principles, a former pharmaceutical physician working with Gardasil for Merck is Dr. Bernard Dalberg. And he stated, quote, the full extent of the Gardasil scandal needs to be assessed. Everyone knew when this vaccine was released on the American market that it would prove to be worthless. Diane Harper, a major opinion leader in the United States, was one of the first to blow the whistle, pointing out that the fraud and scam of it all. And she was on this program doing it. And she was in, by the way, the silent epidemic. So what do we know? Gardasil is useless and it costs a fortune. In addition, decision makers at all levels were fully aware of that. Cases of paralysis of the lower limbs, vaccine-induced multiple sclerosis, and vaccine-induced encephalopathic conditions were found. I predict Gardasil will become the greatest medical scandal of all times at some point in the in the future, the evidence will add up to prove that this vaccine, technical and scientific feat, it may be, has absolutely no effect on cervical cancer, that all the very many adverse effects which destroy lives and even kill serve no other purpose than to generate 
profit for the manufacturers. Gary, what can you tell us about the indemnification of pharmaceutical companies? And what's the vaccine oh, simple. for? It, it, well, what happened was there was member of a man named Armory back in the uh, top member of, of the House of Representatives. He lobbied to get an exemption of all vaccine manufacturers, and he went on to create a lobbying firm, and he gets money from these people. So he got it to where you cannot sue any manufacturer. If, if every person in America was sickened or half of Americans died because of a known faulty vaccine, if the manufacturers knew it was faulty, if the science who created it knew it was crap, you could not sue. That's how protected they are. But what they don't tell you is what's in the vaccines. Last April, Michelle Rivesi, the vice chair of the Greens in the European Parliament, organized a press conference in Paris to reveal um, what she knew about Gardasil. And the reason was that there was serious questions by members of the European Parliament that Merck did not conduct clinical trials according to the rules of science. And the clinical trials for Gardasil, rather than a placebo, the vaccine adjuvant, was used. And the FDA's closing statements on Gardasil reported, quote, 73% of the healthy girls who participated in the clinical study trials developed new medical conditions. Now, I want to see if you knew any of this, Bonnie. Quote, this is from the FDA's closing statement. Blood and lymphatic system disorders, uh, 2.9%. That's one in 34 girls. Uh, gastrointestinal disorders, 13.4%. That's one in seven girls. Immune system disorders, 2.4%. Infections and infestations, 52.9%. That's one in every two girls. Injury, poisoning, and procedural complications, 8%. Musculoskeletal connective tissue disorders, 6.8%. Nervous system disorders, 9.4%. Pregnancy and perinatal conditions, 2%. Psychiatric disorders, 4.4%. Renal disorders, 2.7%. Reproductive and breast disorders, 24.8%. Respiratory, thoracic uh, disorders, 5%. And skin and subcutaneous tissue disorders, 7%. Now, in Merck's Gardasil insert, it states that the vaccine has not been tested for carcinogenicity, and there is no evidentiary reason for Gardasil to be used to combat human papillomavirus or as a preventative for reproductive cancer. And the chief editor of the Journal of Norwegian Medical Association wrote that the Gardasil clinical trials show, quote, palatable increase in those who are exposed to human papillomavirus who have also received the vaccine to develop cancer. That means they're more susceptible to infection. And more shocking, in a test sample of 13 who received Gardasil, all samples contain genetically modified human papillomavirus DNA attached to the aluminum adjuvant. According to the New Scientist magazine report on this finding, the human papillomavirus DNA is considered biohazardous with unknown effects. However, medical literature, including the FDA's publication, shows DNA may increase the risk of autoimmune disorders and gene mutations leading to malignancies. That's in every single Gardasil vaccine. So much for Merck's commitment to sound science-based medicine. And finally, let's look at the Nuremberg Code. The Nuremberg Code has served as a centerpiece for bioethics after the atrocities of the Nazi experimentation on humans during the Second World War. 
And the legal definition, according to all the federal health agencies, meaning Health and Human Services, CDC, and the FDA, is that vaccines are, quote, unavoidably unsafe, end quote. Now, those words alone debunk Dr. Pan and Offit and the entire pro-vaccine complex that repeatedly say vaccines are safe and there's nothing to worry about. In 2000, the American Society of Physicians and Surgeons issued a resolution to Congress that demanded a moratorium on vaccine mandates and insisted on informed consent for use of vaccines. And this resolution was approved by unanimous vote uh, by the ASPS at its annual meeting. And the resolution stated specifically, quote, it was a violation to increase numbers of mandatory childhood vaccines without providing information on the potential side effects, that safety testing of many vaccines was too limited and clinical data was not being made available by the companies and the government for independent scrutiny, and therefore mass vaccination is equivalent to a human experiment and subject to the Nuremberg Code, which requires voluntary consent, informed consent. Here's what the Nuremberg Code specifically quotes, and I believe you should use it in California. All the people from California right now sue the state. If you sue the state for what they're doing, uh, you will get it to the Supreme Court, hopefully, and the Supreme Court has already ruled on this in 2000. Quote, the voluntary consent of the human subject is absolutely essential. This means that the person involved should have legal capacity to give consent, should be so situated as to be able to exercise free power of choice without the intervention of any element of force, fraud, deceit, duress, overreaching, or other ulterior form of constraint or coercion and should have sufficient knowledge and comprehension of the elements of the subject matter involved as to enable him to make an understanding and enlightened decision. This latter element requires that before the acceptance of an affirmative decision by the experimental subject, there should be made known to him the nature, duration, and purpose of the experiment, the method and means by which it is to be conducted, all inconveniences and hazardous reasonably to be expected, and the effects upon his health or person which may possibly come from his participation in the experiment, end quote. That is not being done in California or any other state. So the mandatory vaccine in California is a violation of the Nuremberg Code, and the Nuremberg Code supersedes state law. So my conclusion There's an old Chinese proverb, uh, Bonnie. It says, unless we change our direction, we will likely end up where we are heading. Well, where we're heading with vaccines leads us to shorten lifespans, weaken immune systems, more mentally damaged children, malformed infants, children who will live with diabetes and other autoimmune diseases for the remainder of their lives, and the rising lifelong medical costs from adverse health conditions due to vaccines. Just one common example, asthma which has been scientifically shown repeatedly as an adverse effect from vaccines and particularly combinations vaccines, although it has been shown to be related to GMO and pesticide consumption as well, that can cost the average family with an asthmatic child over $3,000 a year, and it's not covered by medical expenses normally or the insurance. So we have to, we have to come to grips with where we're at now. And... The people of California should immediately contact their legislator and say no to this, and the governor and say no. They should demonstrate, because if not, then 
whatever vaccines they want to give, they will. And the vaccines they want to give are the vaccines that are currently available and the ones that are in the pipeline. And there is no ethic. There is no morality. It is merely profit. And that is the bad part of this. And one last thing, Bonnie. Breaking news today, the whooping cough outbreak in only vaccinated children. Quote, an alarming outbreak of pertussis whooping cough is currently sweeping through Park City, Utah area, and the news is not good for the vaccine industry. The whooping cough outbreak marks the first time in many years that the area has experienced even one case of pertussis. So far, 19 kids have been diagnosed with the illness, and it was all in fully vaccinated children. So that's how you have to deal with it. And remember, when you get your flu shot, you're not told all the damaging viruses that are in there and all the other uh, genetic material. So pay attention. Do your homework. It's all up there. And you can watch Silent Epidemic or Vaccination or Seed of Death up on ProgressiveRadioNetwork.com or PRN.FM. Thank you, Bonnie. Have a nice day. Thank you, Gary. I've been speaking with Dr. Gary Null. Today's show has been Vaccines, What You're Not Being Told, Part 2. Today's program was recorded on The Gary Null Show, heard daily at noon Eastern on the Progressive Radio Network. Gary Null has been one of the foremost advocates of alternative medicine and natural healing. A multi-award-winning journalist and New York Times best-selling author, Dr. Null has written over 70 books and is the director of over 100 critically acclaimed full-feature documentary films on nutrition, self-empowerment, public health issues, and the environment. Visit GaryNull.com, that's G-A-R-Y-N-U-L-L.com, and ProgressiveRadioNetwork.com. Guns and Butter is produced by Bonnie Faulkner, Yaro Mako, and Tony Rango. Email me at Faulkner at GunsAndButter.org, that's F-A-U-L-K-N-E-R at G-U-N-S-A-N-D-B-U-T-T-E-R dot O-R-G. Visit GunsAndButter.org to sign up for our email list to receive our newsletter. Guns and Butter Online now includes a new website, an active Twitter feed, show archives, and a blog. Follow us at GNB Radio. Hey yo, these are some serious times that we live in, G. And our new world order is about to begin. You know what I'm saying? Now the question is, are you ready for the real revolution, which is the evolution of the mind? If you seek, then you shall find that we all come from the divine. You dig what I'm saying? Now if you take heed to the words of wisdom that are written on the walls of life, then universally we will stand and divided we will fall because love conquers all. You understand what I'm saying? This is a call for all you sleeping souls. Wake up and take control of your own cipher and be on the lookout for the spirit sniper trying to steal your life. You know what I'm saying? Look with inside yourself for peace. Give thanks, live life, and release. You dig me? 